It hasn't happened in the House of Commons in over 100 years, and now it's setting up for a showdown between Parliament and the courts. Who will come out on top? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Now, this is a saga of twists and turns. Back in March, a House of Commons committee asked the head of the Public Agency of Canada to produce documents regarding two Chinese scientists at the National Virology Lab in Winnipeg. It was unclear why the two scientists were escorted out of the building and then dismissed. The head of the agency, Ian Stewart, refused to provide those documents as it could have potentially sensitive or injurious information. He was admonished in the House for his refusal, but it sparked a bizarre situation where the sitting Liberals are suing the Speaker of the House to keep those documents secret. Now, I'm not sure I've ever seen a party take the Speaker, who was also a Liberal, to court. Brings up a number of issues. Which is supreme, the courts or Parliament? As well, what were Chinese scientists working on at Winnipeg's National Microbiology Laboratory and why it's so secret as to why their removal? Our unpublished.vote question asks, should the federal government respect the wishes of parliament and provide those documents on the Chinese scientists? Yes, no, or unsure are your options. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. Now, coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, Elliot Tepper from the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University will join us to discuss the latest stumbling block in Canada-China relations. But first, I'm pleased to be joined by Stephen Chaplin. He's the former senior parliamentary counsel for the House of Commons and the University of Ottawa Faculty of Law. Stephen, if the documents are released, what keeps MPs from divulging what's in them? Well, first of all, technically nothing, but at the same time, one has to understand that members of parliament, regardless of their political persuasion, really have no interest in divulging national security secrets. In other words, all members of parliament, they take an oath of loyalty. They take an, uh, an oath to be uh, you know, part of the legislative and, and parliamentary processes. Uh, within the constitutional framework. And it would be hard to imagine that any of them would have an interest in divulging uh, national security secrets. So the question really becomes one not of whether or not something does or does not become public, but it's the degree to which parliamentarians get to see the information in some form of uh, perhaps in camera or with the proper briefings and those kinds of things. So they understand the national security implications. Uh, and, uh, and that's really the issue. The issue is not whether or not they'll be made public. Um, as I said, no one really has an interest in divulging national security documents. However, the question is, do they even get to see them to make the determination whether or not they even matter, whether or not there is, in fact, national security interests that matter in the circumstances? And, and that's also a, a question for Parliament to try to consider. There is a government using national security, for example, as a cover for not divulging documents. Uh, Ian Stewart is claiming that releasing the documents would be injurious under the Canada Evidence Act. Is he, regar is he right regarding that act? Well, first of all, the Canada Evidence Act is merely an evidence act. It has nothing to do with national security as per se. In other words, it doesn't define national security. It just says if something is covered by national security, it cannot be used as evidence or there's a process for evidence to be used. Now, the Canada Evidence Act is a, sets up a way for the courts to actually see the documents. So at the 
if you look at what the evidence act is about, it's about when things can be introduced in the court, what, what would be proper evidence and what can be used as evidence in the court. That's what an evidence act is about. It's not about the content of the evidence itself. So you have a national security determination. Then the question is, if it's covered by national security, can and how does it get used as evidence? And that's what the Canada Evidence Act is about. Most importantly is that under the Canada Evidence Act, the courts, which is another branch of the state, when you think about the branches of the state, the executive, the courts, and the legislature, it's a process under the Canada Evidence Act, which allows courts to look at certain documents in camera before proceedings take place to determine A, whether or not something is properly claimed to be under national security interest, and B, how it will be used, for example, in a proceeding. So if you have, um, uh, for example, a case involving a police investigation, let's use that as an example, and the evidence comes along and you don't want to disclose it because it will disclose, I don't know, connections to criminal organizations or those kinds of things. There's a process in the Canada Evidence Act for a judge to look at and say, how do we, how do we get this evidence forward without divulging this particular information? So the Canada Evidence Act also has a provision for the government to be able to go to the courts when national security is involved to get the courts to determine whether or not something is a covered by national security and b how it would be used in a court proceeding that act does not apply to parliament and the question really here is okay how does parliament set up a parallel process with the government to allow parliament to carry out its constitutional function courts carry out their constitutional function of trials Parliament carries out its constitutional functions of holding the government to account, and how will national security issues be resolved in that context? And that's up, that's between Parliament and the government, not as opposed to between the government and the courts. And bringing the courts in just makes it even messier. Do you see this as a lack of trust between the government and the House of Commons? Uh, that's always the case, I mean, at, at a certain level. Um, and so the question really is, at uh, what point do all of the people involved, and I'm talking both the government and the opposition members in all of this process, say, okay, we are now, when we're looking at these kinds of issues, we're not acting as politicians, we're acting as parliamentarians. We all are acting as part of an institution of the state within the context of being part of that institution of the state, it is in none of our interests to have information that could damage national security made public in the sense of if it's going to damage the, you know, the country, there's no interest in parliament in doing that either. So the idea is that parliament and the government have to come up with some way to allow for for example, meetings. Yes, those meetings would probably be held in secret or in camera. Well, they have a proper security briefing. Members of the opposition could understand why the government is making these claims for national security, what would happen, for example, if they, they were released, and then probably come up with some way of agreeing on what could be made public in their proceedings and what could not, but there would be a full and proper understanding within the institution that says, okay, we now understand uh, what the national security interests are, but what we're trying to figure out is not to breach national security, but to try to figure out what happened in the Winnipeg labs. 
And, you know, it is a government institution. Parliament is accountable, or so the government is accountable to Parliament for what goes on within those labs um, because it is a government institution. And so that's what the that's what their job is. And the fact that there's national security implications, they also have to wear the responsibility. It, as as I, I've said it in some other places, one of the things is once they become a aware of the information, say the opposition, the committee become aware of the information, they also have a responsibility now at that point when they have that information, they are also responsible for not divulging it. And if it's divulged in some way, um, then they're going to be the ones that are responsible for the breach of national security, not the federal government. So, I mean, it's not in their interest to do it. You know, uh, reading your your comments, you were saying that uh, the move violates the Bill of Rights of 1689. How so? Okay, the Bill of Rights of 1689 was, uh, first of all, just a real quick history, what happened following the English Civil War. Um, and then there was, the kings came back. And the question was, what power should Parliament have? Because the war was basically between Parliament and royalty. And Parliament struck a bargain, basically, with William of Orange when he became king um, in the late 17th century. And the bargain basically was that Parliament would have basically full control over the management of law and how laws were made, and also uh, counter the government ultimately gets responsible government. So one of the provisions of that uh, Bill of Rights of 1689, which is part of the constitutional foundation for parliament, says that no proceeding in parliament can be questioned or impeached in any court any place out of parliament. And what that means is that courts are not allowed to look at or question a proceeding in parliament. And what would happen, and that's a constitutional limit on the power of the courts. So the courts cannot look at a proceeding. And in the presence case, what would, how the courts would be able to intervene without questioning the order of the house? Why did the house want these? What is the house going to do with them? You know, also, uh, the degree to which the House has the capacity to hold the government to account for how it goes about dealing with national security matters. There's no way a court can determine that without questioning how Parliament is going about doing its business. So the constitutional constraint on the courts would also apply in these circumstances. Why do you feel the Liberals should abandon this case? I think they should abandon it because, well, first of all, um, what they're really saying is that there's now a part of government for which parliament cannot hold the government to account. When you really think about it, it would create a gap. And any time the, the government comes along and says, well, it's a matter of national security, parliament, you can't look at it. Suddenly there's, there's a black hole where parliament cannot hold the government to account. And I think what the government has to come to understand and all governments have to understand, they get their legitimacy from parliament. They, they hold their power not because we don't vote in governments per se in Canada. We vote in members of parliament and members of parliament have confidence in, in somebody to, to, to govern. And why it's important is that the, the government, by bringing the courts into it, basically complicate that accountability process. And the question you really have to ask yourself is, what is it about judges? who get to decide whether or not um, governments provide information or the content of the information that governments provide 
to Parliament for democratic accountability. So I think they have they should be dropping this because it basically queers the um, the accountability framework in our entire system of government. And there's a there's a part as 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 citizens we are you know we may not ultimately see the documents because of national security, but we have elected representatives who are there to protect these interests on our behalf. And when you say that, then the democratic accountability starts to break down and we start turning to judges to decide what we can, what our democratic institutions can and cannot do to hold our government to account. And I think that is a very dangerous precedent because what we're gonna have is every time there's a fight between the government and parliament over documents, be they national security, in this case, often privacy, business interests, you name it, where people don't want things to become public, what they're going to run off to the courts. Starts and, like know, a slippery, starts, sounds like a slippery slope. And it's, and this was all, I mean, it's not just a slippery slope. It is the problem. Well, part of it is, is a slippery slope. There's, there's, you're right. But the, the other thing is in a, in our democratic system, the idea is that the ultimate account body for accountability is parliament in an institutional way. And then ultimately it's up to the electors to decide, you know, do we agree with how that accountability work, worked out? And it's not a matter for the courts. It's not a, it, it, is a, it is a factual question. It's not a legal one. National security is not a legal question. It's a factual question. And the question really becomes one of who, how do people, how are people or institutions able to look at the information they need while still protecting national security. And it's not up to the courts to tell parliament how to do that. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Stephen Chaplin's the former senior parliamentary counsel for the House of Commons and a member of the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa. This whole mess started back in March when the Special Committee on Canada-Chinese Relations asked for the documents relating to the dismissal of two Chinese scientists working at, the, at Winnipeg's National Microbiology Laboratory. Now, Canada and China have had a rocky relationship at best over the last few years. Elliot Tepper is a senior fellow with the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, and he joins us now. And Elliot, have you seen anything in this saga to show the two scientists were up to more than lab work? We know only a few things for sure. Uh, the first is that there is some reason to believe intelligence sources have provided information to Canada that has led to extraordinary action. Uh, first of all, that they were stripped of their security clearances, then they were fired, but no charges have been laid. At the same time, the government will not uh, release why they've taken these steps. So what we know is that security sources uh, have made some statements that Canada can ignore. So Canada has heard something we, we can't reveal, but we can't ignore, and thus the actions were taken. Does that mean CSIS might be involved here? Almost certainly. Yeah. One of the fascinating things about this is that uh, the cooperation among intelligence services is now leading to something of a constitutional crisis in Canada, because on the one hand, we absolutely have a right to know what goes on. On the other hand, the government has an absolute duty to protect us. And those two have come into conflict. But what's, I think a, a second thing that we can conclude from this is that 
uh, Canada really lacks the reporting mechanisms that are required into now our enhanced level of understanding about what's going on in the world. We do not have the equivalent of a parliamentary mechanism that the US has with their gang of eight, their, their designated elected representatives uh, that are both parties who are eligible to receive classified information. We just don't have that. A special committee was set up by this government to receive that kind of information. It's not a committee of parliament. So on the one hand, uh, we now have an enhanced understanding of the need for information, but we don't have a we don't have a mechanism to receive it effectively. So one lesson to draw out of all this is we need a new mechanism for reporting on security issues in Canada. One of the scientists involved had their name on a Chinese patent. What do, what does this tell you? We've been hearing much more about the scientists. Uh, first of all, that they are Canadian government employees. So they've had high level security clearances and apparently some status in Canada. I'm not sure which, whether they're landed or citizens, but they are basically government civil servants working at a very high level and very productive. Canada has now lost to very productive scientists based on the kinds of things that we're now learning from their colleagues. They are excellent researchers and, and here's a point we're coming to, this kind of international collaboration is normal in earlier times between Canada and other states. Research needs international collaboration. We engage in it in all kinds of ways with security uh, arrangements. But in this case, I think what's really happened, Ed, is that China has come into focus in a way that it was not before, as for that matter, has globalization. We no longer accept globalization for what it used to be. But also in the 942 days that the two Michaels have been held in captivity by China uh, on spurious grounds, China has really come into focus, not only in Canada, but globally. Their reputation has gone down. Our suspicions uh, have gone up. Our suspicious levels have gone up. We do not accept today what we would have accepted earlier. And it could be that these two scientists have been caught in that changing level of perception. You know, relations between the two countries has been frosty at best. Do you see the release of documents as bringing a further chill to that relationship? Yes, the release of documents is very interesting in this case because it goes back to what I started with. There is a need for the government of Canada to keep us safe, and it has gone to extraordinary levels to protect its intelligence sources in order to keep us safe. Well, on the other hand, we have an absolute right to those unredacted documents as citizens, but through our elected representatives, through a mechanism which we do not have. So uh, we now need to evolve to uh, change circumstances in order to meet this inherent conflict between the need to be kept safe by our government and the right to know by our citizens. How's this playing out in China? We don't know. Uh, the last we heard, there's a, a report that the two scientists involved have now appeared in China. And, and apparently they had a home there. That's a report that's come out. So they apparently are there, but there's no assumption that they are agents of China uh, based on the information we currently have, they were harassed, in their view, uh, for an administrative oversight. If you get into the weeds on this, they were saying, look, uh, and P uh, Public Health Agency of Canada has been saying this, we have arrangements. It's just that in this one particular instance, maybe 
They did not follow all of the administrative procedures to transfer highly, um, highly infectious to, <laughs> disease uh, variants, yeah. Ebola being one of them, to China. So they violated the protocols in that one instance that were already in position uh, before in order to handle this. That's not, uh, that's not going to be cleared up, I think, because our, the whole issue is now shrouded in, in, uh, in a blanket of security concerns. Okay, okay, we're just looking at a, at a bit of a broader picture here. We, you know, you've got the two Chinese scientists here in Canada working. I'm going to guess that uh, you're going to have Chinese scientists working in other countries around the world. How much is uh, other nations going to be looking uh, at China and Chinese research uh, and whether they want to work with them following this? Well, this is what I was suggesting, that our whole view of China is changing. China has come into focus, and it's just not a pretty sight. We understand more clearly now, uh, although warnings have been coming since well, for a decade or so, that China is not what we thought it was, that the China is not China, it's the People's Republic of China, which is controlled by the Communist Party of China, mm -hmm. which is operating influence operations, uh, documented, cyber hacking, documented, so that our view of China has changed significantly. And the fact that we took actionable, that we've received actionable intelligence from some source which can't be revealed, suggests that other countries are also likely to be looking much more closely on the nature of collaboration. Do you feel these documents should be released to MPs? Yes, uh, I'll come back to the point that we are entitled to know. We are the public, we paid the salaries of all concerned, all sides, but the government has gone to really extraordinary lengths. I mean, the, the head of PHAC has said, no, I'm not going to obey parliament. We're into a constitutional crisis, I under, nearly, and I guess you're discussing that with someone else. Mm -hmm. But that means that the nature of the intelligence given to us is so sensitive that we can't reveal it. On the other hand, we don't have a mechanism for doing that revealing that it really works to hit that balance between our need to know and our need to be kept safe. Elliot, I want to thank you for joining us. One final comment. We can't let this balloon into something like if you see somebody who's Chinese, that's bad. Uh, we cannot let this balloon into a yellow peril, anti-Chinese, anti-Asian sentiment. There's a particular security risk. It's being explored. It will be handled. All right. Elliot, once again, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome, Ed. Elliot Tepper is a senior fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. And that brings us to our unpublished dot vote question. Should the federal government respect the wishes of parliament and provide the documents on those Chinese scientists? You can vote right now, yes, no, or unsure. Log on at unpublished dot vote. This is a bizarre story in what's become a bizarre year. I want to thank our guest, Stephen Chaplin, former senior parliamentary counsel for the House of Commons and a member of the University of Ottawa's Faculty of Law, and Elliot Tepper, senior fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. And I want to thank you for watching The Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. Mm -hmm.